Now our scripture reading today is going to be taken from Romans 14, if you'd open your Bibles there, and then I'm going to have you go to just two other texts that deal with the same theme. So we'll start with Romans 14, 10 to 12. Paul is in the discussion about not wasting our time judging each other over gray areas and in the middle of this discussion he uses as a motivation the fact that every one of us is going to stand before the Lord and give our own account so in Romans 14 10 he says but you why do you judge your brother or you again why do you regard your brother with contempt for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I want you to notice it's called the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now that same concept is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I would ask you, to go over, if you would please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's again talking about us all appearing before the judgment seat. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to begin reading at verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For... We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want you to notice it's called the judgment seat of Christ. In Romans chapter 14, it's called the judgment seat of God. Jesus Christ is God. It's just that simple. In fact, in Romans 14, you'll see today he's called the Lord. So Jesus Christ is the Lord God. It's his judgment seat. So verse 10 says, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So there is a judgment seat coming for every one of us to face the Lord, to be analyzed by him. Now back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because here you get a glimpse as to what is going to be at stake when this occurs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 11, we read 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the assumption is that a person has believed in Jesus Christ. So this is for believers. person who's believed in Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What is discussed here is the Bema Seat judgment, the judgment seat of God, in which every believer is called to give an account of himself as to how he governed himself or herself after salvation. That's what this is all about. We'll go through it today. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures and to the exposition to follow. Will you join with me, please, in prayer? Our Father, we bow before thee today in humble recognition that you are God, you are sovereign, you're holy. In that kingdom prayer that you taught your Jewish people to pray, in which you told them to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, 
Although it's not a prayer given to the church, we certainly want to remember that prayer today because we believe what has happened in Israel in the past 48 hours is leading to the fulfillment, ultimately, of that prayer. The war that has broken out in Israel is a war that's setting the stage for a key political leader to surface who can calm things down, who can bring temporary peace to the Middle East and temporary peace to the nation Israel. And what that would mean is that your kingdom program is on the way. What that means for us is that we're very near the rapture of the church. So we would ask, Lord, in light of this text we've read today, that you would work specifically and individually in our minds and lives to prepare each and every one of us to face the Bema Seat judgment. Our prayer is that we would be pleasing to you. And the truth is, in order to do that, we must do honest individual work in our own lives and in our own minds so that it ends that way. So we would ask that the Holy Spirit would search each of us, convict us of any pollutant that needs to be ridded from our minds and lives. May the Holy Spirit analyze our thoughts, our speech, our actions, our attitudes, and get us ready to face that judgment. Lord, we want to pray for those in Israel today who've lost loved ones. We pray that your comforting grace would be upon them. I pray that you would... Give the leadership in Israel wisdom in protecting those Jewish people. Lord, we realize they're special. We love Israel here. We pray for Israel here. We pray that the United States and the leadership of this nation will stand as an ally to Israel. We pray that we would support her and help her in any way we can and be her friend. Lord, we pray for those of our own church who are in great need of thy immediate grace. We think of Margie Johnson and John Breedveld and Barb Kaler, just to name a few. We ask that you would help them, and our prayer is you would heal them. Lord, the time is ticking away. We understand that. We know from having gone through this book of Romans that there's a clock at work and the rapture is near. So don't let this be just another Sunday here. I pray you work here today. Do real life-changing work here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what the most intimidating thing is that you've ever faced in your life or ever will face. I know if you've gone to a doctor and they've run tests and they say, we want to meet with you and talk with you, I understand that's intimidating. Boy, your stomach is in knots when you go to that meeting because you don't know what you're going to hear, what they're going to say. If you've ever been in a situation where you've lost a job and you're called to the manager's office to let you know that the job has been terminated, you know the trauma of all of that. I don't know what the thing is that has intimidated you the most in this life, but I can tell you this. The most intimidating thing that any person is ever going to face will be the moment that we stand before Jesus Christ to give an account of ourselves to him. The day we're called to give an account of ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ will be the most solemn and sacred moment ever, and every one of us is going to have one of those moments. And if you're a wise person, you're going to prepare for that. Now, every believer in Jesus Christ is going to be called to face the judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment, each one of us will give our own account of our life. I mean, our life is going to be carefully examined. Understand that. Our work on this earth, our true spirituality on this earth, 
The life that we lived on this earth is going to be inspected and reviewed by the king of kings. And whatever we did or did not do for the Lord is going to be sealed for all eternity. Now let's be clear about this judgment seat of Jesus Christ. This is not a judgment that determines heaven or hell. That issue is settled the moment you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul has already addressed that in Romans chapter 8 when he said, I am convinced that one who has been justified, nothing can separate them, nothing can separate them from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. So the judgment seat of God is nothing to do with heaven or hell. The judgment that is going to be for every believer is a judgment to determine rewards or loss of rewards, and I'm going to tell you it's going to be intimidating. I don't care who we are, it's going to be intimidating. If a believer were faithful and did their best, they have an opportunity to receive rewards. If a believer weren't faithful and didn't give it their best, they're going to suffer loss. Now, there are many passages of Scripture that allude to the fact that our works are going to be analyzed, but there are only two passages that actually specifically name where. And the place where our works are going to be analyzed is called the judgment seat. We read both of those passages this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. In Romans 14, 10 to 12, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Both of these passages are sobering, intimidating, challenging. God wants his people thinking very seriously about what's going on in their lives in light of this. We've experienced saving grace, and the moment we've experienced saving grace, God expects us to go to work on ourselves from that point on. Now, the context of all of this was judging each other over gray areas. And there were believers who were just going to church, nitpicking each other over things that weren't even significant in the scriptures. So what Paul says here is, look, in view of the fact that each of us is going to give our own account to God... Do not waste your life judging each other over gray areas, but invest your life analyzing and developing your own righteousness. Now, many people who go to church, go to church, and they say, I'm going to play a game. And the game I'm going to play is I am God and I am judge. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to communicate to people that they need to conform to me. And if they don't conform to me, boy, they're not right with the Lord. And if they don't conform to me and my standards that I have, they aren't right with God. They analyze everyone except themselves. These are the kinds of people that say, I really want to examine your bank account, but not my own. I'd like to look and see what's going on in your world, but I'm not real interested in what's going on in my world. Now, the problem, as Paul developed it last week, is that you have weaker people in the church, and they really think that their convictions and their codes and their rules and their regulations makes them just a cut above everybody else. And they judge people by that. The weaker brother is defined as the one with the scruples. We saw that last time. And he goes to church with the idea that I'm going to look around and judge people based on whether or not they conform to what I've dreamed up in my own brain. The stronger people, on the other hand, they look at the weaker people and they just hold them in contempt. They go, you don't know what you believe, you don't know what you're talking about. 
And Paul says, look, you need to understand this. What you want to be focused on here is not each other. You want to be focused on the fact that you're developing in your own life because you have a bema seat judgment that's coming. So in Romans 14, 1 to 9, Paul said, don't waste your time. Don't waste your life judging brothers and sisters over gray areas because every believer is the property of God. Every believer is going to be judged of God. And that is a key point of the 14th chapter of Romans. Don't make judgments about other people over things that are non-biblical because every believer is going to give their own account to the Lord. Now, you have a right to your own convictions. You have a right to feel any way you want about any subject you want. What you don't have the right to do is believe that your convictions and your feelings are my authority, because they're not. And I don't have the right to think that my feelings and my convictions are your authority, because they're not. The fact of the matter is, it's the Word of God that's our authority. We're not talking here about sin issues. I mean, he's very clearly laid out sin needs to be out of a believer's life. If there's blatant sin, they need to get that out. We're talking here about those gray areas. And what Paul does here is he takes it a step further. He says, you don't want to be wasting your time judging your brothers and sisters in Christ. What you want to be doing is investing your time analyzing yourself, judging yourself in view of the fact that we're going to face Jesus Christ. Every one of us, it's going to be a sober moment when we are called to face Jesus Christ. So we want to be working on our own lives. We're talking about serious analysis here. We're talking about honest adjustments that we're willing to make in light of that analysis. Now from verse 10, we may conclude this. But you, why do you judge your brother? There's the weak one who's judging or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? There's the strong one that's holding the brother in contempt. And now you'll notice the conjunction for, in the middle of verse 10, for, and he starts now giving us a series of reasons why you don't want to waste your time that way. If you're a weak believer, you don't want to waste your time judging people based on your convictions. And if you're a strong believer, you don't want to waste your time holding other weaker believers in contempt. And he gives four reasons why. Number one, because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat. Four, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now this fact, and it is a fact, I'll point it out in just a second, this fact is really all we need to impact us, and it ought to make a difference. I mean, this ought to make a difference right here. And he stresses all. Do you see the word all? That's what the text says. It says, for we will all pontest, anarthras, everyone, the character and quality of everybody's works who are believers in Jesus Christ is going to be analyzed at this judgment. Now let's just pause here for a second and think about that. You talk about intimidating reality. You are going to be called yourself to face Jesus Christ. I'm going to be called myself to face Jesus Christ. I would be very foolish to waste my life judging people or analyzing people on ridiculous gray areas. Doesn't even make logical sense. I've got to face Jesus Christ, so do you. 
And he said, we all be called to stand before Jesus Christ. That's a future tense, middle voice, indicative mood verb. And what that technical talk means is it is a fact, indicative mood. It is a fact that we will stand before Jesus Christ. And the verb stand, as I understand it, actually means we're going to be standing there. That's the posture that we're going to be in. I mean, as I understand the word here, what we're being taught is you're actually going to stand at this location of judgment. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. Then he says, this will occur at a future time. We will all stand in the future. There will be a time. And it's a middle voice verb, which means every individual in and of himself is going to stand before Jesus Christ to give an account. Now, I'm dealing with the words here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm dealing with the grammar that Paul has written here. Every individual is individually going to have a moment to stand at this judgment seat and face Jesus Christ and be judged by Jesus Christ. That judgment will include your thoughts, your words, your actions, your attitudes toward brothers and sisters in the Lord. All of that will be open to him. And the Greek word for judgment seat is the word bima, or bima in Greek is how you'd pronounce it, bima seat. In the Roman world, when Paul mentioned this word bima seat, that would have brought to the minds of these people something, man, that's going to be one intimidating, threatening moment. See, the bima seat was a place where legal judgments were made by the Romans. The place was in the Roman Forum. And if you got a subpoena and you were ordered to appear at this place, you realize this is serious stuff here in that Roman world. You don't face magistrates lightly. This is not some happy, clappy playtime we're going to here. And if you lived in the Roman world, there were no words you feared more than hearing you must appear before the magistrates at the Forum at the Bema Seat. Those were fearful words to hear. On the day of your hearing, you would be taken to the Roman Forum. There was a huge place with tall columns and pillars seated high up on perches that were called bema seats. High up on perches were magistrates. And the person who'd been asked to appear in this court was called to appear before these magistrates. And they would carefully and they would humbly and they would fearfully make their way to this magistrate who had their case. You didn't go in here flippantly. In fact, you knew that the judge that you're about to appear before has the authority of Rome to condemn us to death or acquit us. So no person would ever think, I'm just going to confidently and arrogantly march in and strut in before them like a proud peacock. This was a very intimidating place. It was scary. And when Paul said every believer must appear before the Bema Seat judgment, that's what would have raced through their minds. They would have thought about that. This is going to be serious. He wanted these Roman believers to realize there's coming a very serious moment in each of our lives as believers when we're going to be called to face Jesus Christ. It's going to be a very intimidating moment. It's going to be a judgment moment. It's going to be held in the highest court of all. I mean, this is the real Supreme Court. It's the ultimate Supreme Court. 
And we're going to be called to go in there. And every phase of our life, every phase of our life since we came to faith in Jesus Christ is going to be examined. That will include what we did, how we lived, what we said, words. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus addressed the fact that your words are going to be judged. And Paul picked up on that in many of his epistles. Be careful what you're saying, because there are some people, they just pop off their mouth. Some people, quite frankly, just talk too much. But you need to understand this. Words are going to be analyzed when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. What we said, how we functioned in the church, how we served the Lord, what we gave to the Lord, how we sacrificed for the Lord, what we thought, how seriously we took the word of God, and how we responded to the conviction of the Spirit of God. That's all going to be open when we get before that Bema seat. Now, most believers, when they look at that or they see this, they kind of look at their lives and they do what I would call a bulk analysis. And what they basically do is they look at their lives in a bulk way and say, ah, I'm not too bad. That's not what this is challenging believers to do. You look at your life in an itemized list, not bulk analysis. In other words, you take an honest look at yourself, you take an honest look in an itemized way at what's going on in your life, and I think you'll discover there's some work to do here. This judgment, by the way, this Bema Seat judgment, future judgment, is based on daily judgment. So we can just live with the idea that somewhere out there in the future, it's going to happen and my bulk life will be examined. It's not going to get down to specific itemized details. And Paul is saying, no, that's not how it's going to work. You're going to get before this Bema Seat judgment and it's going to be based on itemized details. So what you need to do is you need to go to work on making judgments every day of your life heading to the future judgment. And you make those judgments, and that will determine how things will work out at the Bema Seat judgment. Now, in view of that, why would anybody want to waste their time judging other people? Why would anyone want to waste their time judging people over gray areas when in all reality your own eternal rewards are at stake or loss of rewards at stake, don't you think? It would be wiser to work on your own life, work on your own spirituality in light of the fact that we'll give our own account to the Lord. Dr. J. Vernon McGee said, facing Jesus Christ disturbed him some because he wondered how he would tell him about certain things. So he said, I can't sit in judgment upon you because I'm really worried about me. That's exactly what Paul had in mind when he wrote these words. You need to worry about you. Don't be worried about other people in gray area issues. You need to be worried about you because every one of us will give an account to the Lord. 
So reason number one why you don't want to waste your time on gray area issues is we'll all stand before the Lord at the Bema Seat Judgment. Reason number two, we'll all bow before the Lord. We'll all stand, we'll all bow. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Now notice, it's the Bema Seat of Christ, it's the Bema Seat of God, and then you're going to bow before me, the personal pronoun me. Jesus Christ is God. You can't deny that. The one who is out there making judgments against other believers in Jesus Christ, here's what they really think. People who make judgments in the church about gray areas think, you need to bow to me and my convictions. And we're not going to do that. You don't bow to me and my convictions, and I'm not going to bow to you and your convictions. What we're all going to do is bow one day before Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice carefully what Paul uses as an authority base for discussing this. He says, as it is written. It is written. In other words, Paul says this idea about a future judgment, this idea about going before the Lord and having our lives analyzed and then we bow before him, this comes out of the written scriptures. I'm not the one inventing this, Paul says. This is what's revealed in the written word of God. We're not going to stand before Jesus Christ and be judged because Paul thought it was a good idea for the church. We'll stand before Jesus Christ because God's word says that's what we're going to do. And not only does God's word say we'll stand before him, but we'll also bow before him. And Paul is making a point by using a quote from Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 49. In both of those passages, this is interesting, and Israel needs to know this today, God is promising Israel that there will come a day when all of her enemies will bow down before him and before her. That's an encouraging thought. But I don't want to lose sight of the context in which Paul is using the statement. Paul is discussing a believer and the fact that we're all going to bow before him. We have a tendency to read a statement like this in Romans and also the same quote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, that says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have a tendency to read that and say, well, yes, that's going to be a great day, boy, when those people are going to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be something when they're going to be forced to bow before the Lord. But what we must not forget is this text isn't aimed at unbelievers. This text is aimed at the believer. We're going to bow before Jesus Christ. We as believers are going to bow before him, and that reality should keep us from judging each other on gray areas. In fact, when Paul actually said that in Philippians, he topped it off by saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing you're going to face the Lord. There will be many believers who will discover they were far more preoccupied with religion and denomination than they were Jesus Christ and God's word. No believer is going to bow before a denomination. No believer is going to bow before a religion. All believers will bow before Jesus Christ. Years ago, I saw something on my job I'll never forget. 
There was an employee who was always criticizing the company and criticizing the management for whom he worked. If he were working an eight-hour shift, I'm telling you, this guy was running his mouth four of the eight hours in some form of criticism. They don't know what they're doing, don't know what they're talking about, just on and on and on. One day, the boss called him into the office. I saw this with my own eyes. The boss called him into the office, and as he was going into the office, he was his normal, arrogant, boisterous self. And when he got into that office, the manager said, you've been criticizing this company and undermining it long enough, you're fired. That man came out of that office totally humiliated with his lip quivering. Man, all of that pride was gone. He was no longer a big mouth. He was humbled with his mouth shut. It will be that way for many the day they face the Lord. They'll have lived their lives loosely. They'll have lived their lives in arrogance, not humility. They'll strut through life with a mindset that life's all about me. I never have to get serious about change. I never have to get serious about the Word of God or having it impact my life. And in fact, I'm the judge and jury of what I do. I'm the judge and jury of what I believe. They're going to be totally humiliated and they'll bow before Jesus Christ. Now, when I want to clean my glasses, I don't do it in the dark. I take these glasses of mine, I look into the light. And when I put those glasses in the light, that dirt shows up. And when we stand before Jesus Christ, we'll all stand before the light of the world. I'm telling you, if there's any dirt there, it's going to show up. So don't waste your time and life judging people over ridiculous gray area issues. Invest your life working on you. Invest your life taking the scriptures and take them and itemize your life. Analyze what they're saying. Do an introspective itemized analysis of yourself. Make changes in life. Because we'll all bow before Jesus Christ. The third reason why we don't want to waste our time judging each other, but we want to invest our time working on ourselves, is because we'll all use our tongues to give praise to God. Verse 11, and every tongue shall give praise to God. The King James and New International Version reads, every tongue will confess to God. Both of these are accurate, good translations. The word give praise is one that means acknowledge, praises, confess, and agree to the same thing. That's what the word means. You agree to the same thing and you give praise to God. Now, here's what I understand this to be saying in the context. When we get before this Bema seat judgment of Jesus Christ, we're going to confess the truth about Jesus Christ and give praise to him in the context of him judging us. In other words, the context of this praise will be a confession concerning our own judgment. When Jesus Christ analyzes every one of us, we're going to agree with his conclusions. We're going to not only agree with his conclusions, we're going to praise him that we're even there. We will agree with the judgment that he gave of our own lives. It'll be an accurate judgment. And every single believer that's called to face this Bema Seed judgment will testify to that reality. 
I'm telling you, when my name is called, it's going to be one intimidating moment. And so it is when it's your name called. This Bema Seed judgment is impartial. It's going to be accurate. It's going to be true. There are no biases here. You can't somehow buy off the judge. You can't manipulate the decision. The fact of the matter is, every believer will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and when every believer stands before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he analyzes their lives at this beam of seat judgment, every single believer will say, that is true. That's exactly the right judgment. And they'll give praise to Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, the reformer of the 1500s, made an interesting observation when he said, most people don't honestly admit what they are in this life. But they certainly will in the next. Again, I go back to this. Don't get in the habit of bulk analysis of your life. Itemize it. Take it one at a time. Compare it to the scriptures. Deal with things one at a time. That's the key to rewards. The fourth reason is because we'll all give our own account to God. Verse 12 couldn't be any clearer. Look at it. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. There are no classification differences there. It doesn't matter if you're young or old doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, educated, not educated. doesn't matter if you're a president or a servant. doesn't matter if you're one of the great ones or one of the small ones. doesn't matter if you're from the upper class or the lower class, if you're a minister, a manager, a mechanic. doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a driver, a professor or a pulper. It doesn't matter. Each one of us. Each one who knows the Lord is going to give an account of our own lives. This text is very clear that every person's going to go through this process, and we'll have nobody else to blame. We can't pass the buck here. We'll have no excuses that we can make here. Now, in view of that, why in the world, why in the world would you want to waste your time judging other people over gray area issues? Man, we have work to do, people. Take these 66 books, understand them accurately, rightly divide them, and then make itemized applications to our own lives. That's work. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this thought right here affected him six ways. He said, first of all, it made him watch what he was doing with his time. He became time conscious, what he was doing. It kept him developing and working on his own spiritual life. None of us have arrived here. We all have work to do. It kept him carefully searching and studying the scriptures to understand them. He said, I realize I need every one of those books of the Bible. I need to know everything in the scriptures so that I can keep growing and learning more. It kept him motivated to stay faithful in his giving to the Lord. It kept him guarding his speech. And then he said it kept him taking inventory of himself Every day. Make no mistake about this. Jesus Christ is going to audit our lives. 
individually, you and me. This is not some futuristic might or maybe, this is futuristic reality. So the time to do an itemized analysis of our lives is here and now. This is the time to do honest business with the Lord and make adjustments and changes. Because we haven't faced this yet. So now's the time to watch what we do, what we say, what we think, where we go. And if we've done our best, our audit will go well. But you take an interest in your own life. You have plenty of work to do, and so do I. Now, we're not discussing people that get off into sin. We have to deal with that at times. I get that. That's not what Paul's discussing here. He's saying, don't be wasting your time on foolish gray areas. No one is going to get before that Bema seat judgment and have a perfect score. In fact, even Paul mentioned that. When Paul was about to die, who's writing these words, he says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed, bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. So Paul never believed he'd reach some level of sinless perfection, so we're not going to reach that either. But we don't want to use that little statement there as a crutch for not doing serious itemized work. Now, Israel has been attacked over the weekend. It's the most deadly attack in Israel in 50 years. Between two to 300 Israelis have been killed. 1,700 that they know of have been wounded. From a biblical eschatological standpoint, as near as we understand prophecy in the scriptures, this is all setting the stage for a political leader to rise who can ultimately bring some semblance of peace to the Middle East. I think this is the background, the stirring that's going on, that's setting the stage for this political leader to surface at some point. We're not date setters here, we're not fanatics here. But what I will tell you is I believe this does indicate we're near the rapture. And if we're near the rapture of the church, we're very near the Bema Seat judgment. So the time to get real serious about doing analytical work on your own life is now. The time to get serious about God's word and your relationship with Jesus Christ is now. Because it's possible to in spite of the flaws and failures that each and every one of us have, it's possible to actually get before the Lord at that Bema seat and have him say to you or me, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. It won't come if you're analyzing your life in bulk. You have to do an itemized list. You go to work on you. Let others do whatever they're going to do. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, look, this is the time to do it right now. If you've never invited him in to be your Savior, right where you sit, this is business between you and the Lord. Just invite Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your personal Savior. 
Just express that to him. He sees your heart. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you for this great text in Romans. We, Lord, have work to do, and we need to do itemized work. I need to do it. And I know everybody here needs to do it. Everybody listening to this needs to do it. Lord, we do anticipate we're nearing the rapture of the church. And I pray that as we anticipate that, we'll just carefully, analytically look at ourselves, look at the scriptures, and make adjustments, changes that perhaps we've never even made before. For anything that you've done here today, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.